Welcome to Marketing Mysteries Solved, where we explore the trials and triumphs of marketing for healthcare executives. Wendy O'Donovan Phillips, CEO of Big Buzz, is on the case, interviewing guests through her proprietary process and solving some of the toughest marketing challenges in the industry. Let's get started. My guest today is Alex Fisher. After years of drawing and painting in Argentina and Venezuela, she moved to St. Louis, where she got involved in the world of senior housing. Today, Alex is a tireless advocate for improving the lives of seniors and the industry that serves them. She has years of hands-on sales experience at Turnaround and New Project Phillips and as an owner-operator. These experiences inspired her to create Sherpa's training and CRM technology whose design and functional specifications promote connection in senior housing sales relationships. She is expert at helping senior sales professionals understand why their work is so important to the cultural and financial health of their organizations. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Wendy. Great to be with you. So you have always been drawn to older people, Alex, fascinated by their wisdom and their life stories. Why is that? What's the root story there? Hmm. You know, I'm not sure I understood why I was drawn to old people. Actually, I wanted to draw them rather than me being drawn to them, which is kind of funny. And I thought a lot about that. So, you know, bottom line is that I remember sitting in my in my house when I was, I don't know, four or five years old. But first of all, whenever my mom says, what would you like for Christmas or your birthday? I would say pinturitas, which in Spanish, it means stuff to draw with. Okay. So obviously I had a knack for, or a desire to draw, but what I was drawn to draw was wrinkled faces. I found them profoundly interesting and I had a library at home and there was a book, a very heavy book with lots of illustrations of old gauchos, of, of these really interesting weathered faces. So I would, I would draw them. And of course, I was a very weird child because most of the other kids were drawing princesses and, and you know, flowers. And, and that was nice, too. So, so you know, as I, as I grew up, I continued to to be drawn to interesting weathered faces, um, I realized now that I was looking to understand what does life look like when, you, when you're weathered, when you've lived a long time? What is that perspective? You know, what does that look like? Because I was also a very philosophical child and I understood that that's, that's where we were all marching towards old age, if we were lucky, right? And so... I was curious about that. What is it that you need to go through to make wrinkles on your face? That's uh, terrific. It's always interesting to me how nuggets from people's childhood shape their entire careers. And for me, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I lost my mother at a very young age, at, at age five, and my dad remarried. And so my life ended up being that I had three sets of grandmothers the grandfathers were not as prominent. One, one died before I was born, but the grandmothers in particular were so nurturing to me and so maternal to me in a way that I didn't get from my mother because she was absent. And of course, my stepmom was there too, but I just had such a deep, rich 
experience as a child with my elders, with my grandmothers. And so it's just interesting how, you know, fast forward, we're, uh, you know, both in our middle age and we've shaped these entire careers around these passions. And we're both passionate about creativity and relationship building. I was smiling when I was reading your bio because we have so much in common in terms of relationship marketing. How would you say creativity lends itself to building strong relationships? Well, creativity, I think at its core, and I thought a lot about this, what is it? You know, most people think, oh, in order to be creative, you need to be artistic or you need to be, you need to know how to write or paint. Or I think creativity is is way beyond that. So creativity is a way of abandoning your assumptions about anything about a person and being curious about what you don't know. That's the root of creativity is curiosity about something that you want to discover, that you want to make connections with, that you want to understand. You know, the process, the artist is really in a quest to understand its subject, whatever it is, whether it's in writing or you're painting a face, you're trying to understand something that's deeper. And so that's the the creative process is one in which you drop your assumptions so that you can actually understand your subject. And if we come at the creative process or the relationship full of assumptions about the subject, we will not, de- we will not be able to build a strong connection with that person because it's going to be tinted and you know there's going to be barriers around the, our understanding that's based on our assumption. And the same thing if you're trying to draw a face, you know, and being creative, the process of drawing a face requires that you stop thinking about what a nose should look like or what a certain shape in their face should look like. You know, from all the other noses you looked at in your life, you know, we sort of build the model that that shortcuts our brain and makes our brain just say, well, this is kind of generally what most noses look like. So I'm going to draw that rather than that particular shape that makes that person's nose be unique. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I didn't mean to go too deep into that, but the no, same that's thing, good. relationships are the same way, Wendy. I think we need to be creative in our curiosity or we need to be mm-hmm. curious and that will make us be creative or create new connections with someone that we may live with that we may know for 20, 30 years. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do because our brains aren't really wired for that. They're wired for survival, for assumptions, for getting things done quickly. And if I just make an assumption about you, and then my behaviors towards you are going to be based on those assumptions, I will miss who really you are and what really Mm -hmm. are you thinking. And I think that that precise thing is what's at the heart of really great marketing. And it's over the last two decades, digital marketing, you know, has taken the world by storm, but it's a very transactional way of doing marketing, right? Run the ads, get the leads. We even the language that we use around it, right? Like target the audience, right? I mean, it's a very aggressive language, right? And then it's like, how many conversions did you get? How many leads did you get? And it's like, well, I'm curious about how many conversations with people you had. No, I love what you said about the aggressive language is stereotypically masculine yes. in the sense that you know, we're going to go to war. We were just funny because we were <laughs> just having a brainstorming about branding something at our office yesterday. And we're talking about, 
you know, this language we use of, you know, the war room and let's uh, crush it. And that's fine to the extent that it describes that, yes, that we we do want to find our target. And yes, we do want to affect that target in a way that's going to draw their interest of or, course. or understand what it is that we are about. But really the purpose of marketing, and I think where we go wrong to your point, you know, the fact that it's transactional, it reminds me of what Seth Godin said at Empath and something that I've, I've <laughs> always, and I actually, we asked him about that, the difference between being market-driven and marketing-driven, mm-hmm. so, which I love. So mm-hmm. the main goal of marketing is to understand what your who your market is, first of all, yes, yes. and what do they want? How do they want to be talked to? Yes. And have a long-term strategy to describe to your market that you are aligned with them and that you want the best for them. Mm-hmm. Not a marketing-driven is like, let's see how far and wide we can spread our message mm-hmm. for the really limited purpose of generating as much leads as possible. Right. It's our mark. Do you remember that that the example that, I don't know if he gave the example or where I heard it, but uh, this idea of you have a dye, you have a little thimble of purple dye. Yes. Right. And that's your marketing and you know, and you want as many people, you know, as possible. Do you want as many people as possible? So if you, if you dump that dye in a pool, Mm -hmm the pool will die, will be purple, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 the right amount of water so the dye can affect it. If you throw it in the ocean, you'll get a very diluted, you will not find the impact that you're looking for. Anyway, so the analogy I like because it says, let's really define who our market is and let's get to know them really well. And in our case, our market yes. is... The 85-year-old that's looking for a sense of, for a community or a place in which they can preserve their identity and their belonging. Yes, yes. she's an actual real whole person with thoughts and feelings and yeah, and worries and concerns and yes, yes. And they're our customer. Mm-hmm. They are our customer. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that pay the bills mm-hmm. and that allow investors and everybody else, you know, to continue to build and to, mm-hmm. and, you know do capital improvements. And so that's our customer and they're mm-hmm. the paying customer. So how do we speak to them in right. a way that resonates with them? Exactly. Rather what I see is like, okay, so let's just spray and pray with, <laughs> right. yes. with our barbecue email about our barbecue. It's interesting because we have communities, by the time they call us, they're saying, well, we just, we're not getting the sort of warm leads we need in order to gain move-ins and they're and they're running their sales teams into the ground you know with all of these cold leads and i think you made a really good point alex that it's you know if we were to imagine a venn diagram there is absolutely value to um, digital marketing and to targeting an audience and to i mean absolutely and 100%. there is equal value to understanding who the full person is that you are reaching to using um, systems and structures like relationship marketing, relationship-based CRM, the things that you and I do in order to 
complete that picture, right? Because in the middle of both of those are the leads that are going to come in through the top of the funnel, usually through digital advertising, right? So clicked on an ad on Facebook or Google, came through to probably a piece of content, maybe gated, parted ways with their email address, got put into Sherpa, you know, as a CRM. And then the real components of relationship marketing are truly differentiating brand messaging, which I see very little of in the senior living industry. I mean, it's sort of a sea of sameness sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? Then really great content marketing that is educating. Like when you were describing the 84-year-old, what came to my mind was an older woman who I work with in a program that I'm involved with. And and she and I talk for an hour every Monday morning. And And her face came into my mind. And I think, you know, She's a full and complete human being named Carol, who is living independently with her husband and has for a long time in New York. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I think about, you know, what is it that would cause Carol to seek out senior living housing, right? That's a completely different question than who's our target audience and what ads should we run Mm -hmm. and what's our conversion rate and what is our call to action? Also very important. But we need to know who Carol is, what is really motivating to her, what's different about our own organization that will be compelling to her to seek it out, and then educating her on, you know, there, there's such a misconception of what senior housings, what senior care looks like, what it's really like. And so just educating folks with that educational content pushed out via email, via the CRM, via social media in order to really round out that connection. I mean, we started our conversation with the word connection, right? Like we have to connect with the people we wish to serve. They are not instruments to be transacted. They're not transactions. I love that you mentioned Carolyn, who comes to your mind as, as yes, our customers, our market, you know, the people in our market are very much whole individuals. And how do we, you know, create a, well, first of all, we have two problems. One is the idea that most of our potential market has, including Carol, about what senior living means. Mm -hmm. So that's the education piece. It's difficult to do. I remember in the past, you know, my partner, David Smith, when we were doing consulting, you know, we were suggesting that industry pool together resources to do a got milk type campaign, you know, um, something successful that, that says we're all going to be talking to our market um, about who we are as an industry, not as you know, Shady Pines, my community or my company, but as an industry, what are we trying to do? That's never happened, you know. And I wish that that could happen as a way to start chipping away at the assumption that this is a place where I'm going to lose my independence. Mm-hmm. This is a place where old people live, and I'm not ready to decide that I'm old and I'm done in my productive engagement with life. And no matter how much you tell me about all the great activities that go on in your community, that has nothing to do with my assumption about my own identity and how I want to live my life. And I don't want to be in a place that will treat me as an old person. And my assumption is because in my life, I've made up this notion. I have this bias, this assumption that this is a place as it used to be when Carol was 20 years old Mm -hmm. with her parents or her grandparents, where those places were places that you went to when you were too old, too sick, too poor, or too crazy. And they were not nice places. (laughs) They weren't nice, but it meant 
it meant that you were done, that you were, you needed to be taken care of. Right. And we want to, you know, to move that perception is very difficult to do for the entire market. Although it would be possible if we could just get our act together as an industry to say, we're not selling shelter and care. We're selling, we're, we're building communities of, of, of belonging. Mm-hmm. where you can belong, where you can be yourself, a, a place where you can preserve your identity. You can, you'll have the the possibilities of trying new things and crafting your own, your own path in, in this stage of your life. And we'll give you that ability. We'll create this environment in which you can thrive as you, not as mm-hmm. an old person that needs all these things. You may still need all these things and you'll have all that support, but this notion that our industry needs to, and this is what I'm trying to do, Wendy, is, is, is to sort of shake everybody up and says, okay, how do we start positioning our communities as communities of, of joy and belonging where <laughs> the customer, the market sees it as, oh, this is a place where I can go to actually regain and preserve my identity. Because when Love people it. say, I don't want to lose my independence, what they really mean is, I don't want to lose my identity. I don't want to go yes. to a place in which I stop being me and I start being the old person that needs to be cared for. So yes. moving from a caring for people to a caring about people mm-hmm. and their wholeness of the person. And that translates into how we market, how we sustain and how we develop a brand around our offering that has to do with what does Carol want? Should she, when she decides that her current living situation no longer enables her to live out her values? Because everybody asks about senior living when what their, their current situation is no longer congruent with what they value. And one of the secrets that we have uncovered over the years is how important it is to co-create that message with the carols of the world. I talk all the time on the podcast about, you know, voice of the customer surveys certainly to drive brand. You touched on, you know, how sometimes challenging it can be to develop genuinely helpful content that also is, you know, in your case, fueling a revolution, right? And what we found is the secret is um, programmatic surveys, which are, they use artificial intelligence to reach, I mean, you could reach thousands of your would-be community members, right? Mm-hmm. And ask them, you know, what are the, the fears and what are the motivators and what are, we make a lot of assumptions about what older people think and feel. Mm-hmm. There is hard data that we could put behind that. And that's where I get really excited and geek out. There is data that we could put behind where they actually are now. And then when we layer that that over with the creativity and the relationship building marketing that we're bringing to the table, it coaxes them even further into, not even coaxes, over my career, I've researched and studied a lot around you know pull marketing versus push marketing. And Seth Godin has um, a couple of books on that. But so much of digital marketing is pushing leads, you know, down a funnel, but really great content marketing that's backed by data is pulling them, right? Is not even pulling, like it's not coercion or coaxing. It's, it's inviting. It's, inspir- it's inspiration. It's inspiration. We all it need is. inspiration. And it's yeah. funny, I'm, I'm a total data geek myself and mm-hmm. um, I'm very results driven. Mm-hmm. Um, 
some, some people know me as like, oh, you're so empathic and that's all nice, but we want results <laughs> and, and empathy. <laughs> it's very empathy. familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, good luck to you. But I know that empathy drives results, except that empathy is hard. And empathy is not just how I feel about someone, that's sympathy. It's it's about really seeking to understand and dropping my own assumptions, whatever it is that you're doing in marketing, in sales, in, in any aspect of your life, actually. But what's, you know... What's what's really interesting about the data is that, you know, I, I also looked a lot at research that it's done on prospects. I mean, even surveys where companies have surveyed their prospects and they hire a marketing agency to find the sentiments and, you know, of their prospective buyers, even people that are in the lead base. And what's really interesting is that they come up with a series of motivation to make a move and then a series of objections to make a move that really that mirror each other and really they really bring bubble up the main problem the main reason that people have to delay this decision until they're really sick or they don't have a choice and therefore our industry's acuity keeps rising and that has to do with ambivalence they'll say things like my house is getting to be too much. And then they'll say under the same breath, I love my house. Okay. They'll say things like, you know, we're kind of, we're getting old, you know, it's getting hard because we're getting old. We don't want to live with old people. So you start seeing, and I'm making gestures here, but you start seeing the two sides of a same coin. Mm -hmm. And if we were able to understand that our whole job really as market in the market, as marketing and selling, marketing being more of a long-term effort and selling being a a very targeted sort of short-term exercise, both extremely important. We need to understand how to acknowledge ambivalence. So there's an education piece, certainly. It would be better done by the whole industry pulling together, but that's not probably going to happen. So that's great. Let's educate. Let's educate that these places are wonderful, that this is not a place where you go to to die and you go to live and sell the lifestyle. All that is important. How do we address the genuine and very real ambivalence that most of prospective buyers have around this idea of leaving their home and moving to a community? Right. Right. And we're basically saying the same thing that we have to download that from them, understand how they speak and think about it. What genuinely keeps them up at night? I think that's a marketing cliche, right? What keeps you up at night or a sales cliche? But we really need to get down to, you know, what is important to you? Why is it important to you? What is it about being home that's so important to you that you would, even though things are hard that you would still be there. So we need to address the side of the ambivalence that argues for them not making a change so that they can argue with us, with us, the industry, the reasons they have to make that change. And we do the opposite. We try to convince and persuade our marketing and our selling techniques, right? Right. And then organizations want to know why they have cold leads. (laughs) So our whole idea of prospect-centered marketing past is around this idea of ambivalence, of stages of readiness, of understanding, okay, our market is one that when they're in the buying process or even in the exploring around process and starting to become aware that they this is something that they should explore, that's when our marketing 
needs to, you know, come in full blast and speak to them. And to your point about, you know, you're asked about, you know, give me warm leads that I, you know, that are not going to waste my time. (laughs) Well, your marketing is not going to all of a sudden, you know, just because you see a Facebook ad and it's really well-crafted and it's really targeted, it's not going to say, oh, you know what, my life is just fine, but maybe I should consider this. People start to become aware of the industry and your offering when they start having a problem in their own situation. And we could really help them with our messaging to what keeps them out at night is ambivalence. It's like, I don't know what to do. And then they go out at night, they start thinking about, you know, all their problems and the loneliness and et cetera, et cetera. And then in the morning they talk to their daughter or they talk to someone else and they say, what am I thinking? I'm crazy to be thinking about leaving this house. I love this house. And then at night something else happens and it's just mm. back and forth and back and forth. And that sense of being stuck in ambivalence is really something really cool that we could address with marketing. Because that's what the data tells us. The problem is exactly. Exactly. We're going to take a quick 30-second break. Can't wait for answers to some of your biggest marketing challenges? Go to bigbuzzinc.com slash podcast and download a free chapter of your choice of one of Wendy's best-selling books. She has a book just for the senior living industry, one for medical organizations, and another one just for dentists. Most healthcare organizations feel overwhelmed about marketing. Wendy offers the cure. Her concise handbook shines a light on how you can put a method to your marketing for years to come. Visit bigbuzzinc.com slash podcast to download your free marketing book excerpt now. That's bigbuzzinc.com slash podcast. And now, back to the show. You and your team, Alex, recently launched the Sherpa Empath Conference, which was all about building trust and relationships. And I told you before we started the show that I don't praise a whole lot of conferences. <laughs> I was just at one and I'm like, I'm exhausted and it was a bit awful. But it was genuinely, Sherpa Empath was genuinely one of the most beautiful events that I've been to. And this was your inaugural event. Um, yes. It was a very refreshing change from most conferences, well attended. And yet you all created this art of intimacy that I, I can't explain how you did that, but you did it very well. What would you say you most want attendees to learn from that event? Because I know you're going to have it again in the fall. We're going to have it again. And you know, we thought deep and hard about what kind of conference for like a retreat or gathering, what kind of gathering you know, what is it that we wanted to hear for ourselves? What is it that the industry needs? And at this particular moment, that's so pivotal, especially coming out of the pandemic, you know, what we learned from, so, so we started to think about how do we bring creativity? How do we bring inspiration? How do we bring new content from great thinkers outside of our industry that can help us you know, get out of our own heads, so to speak, and our own silo, and really start to think differently about a our market. You know what we've been talking about. What is it that we're doing? Who is our market? How do we get to know them better? How important is it the work we're doing? And so Malcolm Gladwell in Empath talked about. You know, the conclusion was, how do you change an industry? First of all, do you want to change anything? If you don't, then maybe this conference isn't for you. But if you if you want to change 
the way that things work for the better for your customer and the way that your life as an industry a person can change, then you need the tools, you need the awareness, you need the inspiration. And Malcolm Gladwell talked about three things that are important when you want to change an industry. Empathy, really understand your customer. Urgency, the customer has an urgent problem that you want to solve. So act with urgency and imagination. That same or don't work. And that requires courage. You know, it requires courage for you in what you do when it's like, I'm going to just turn the marketing upside down and, and do messaging that's never been done before. And then we try and we try and we try different things based on what Carol tells you that she wants and she right. needs and right. all the other Carols. That's what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, our, the takeaways, you know, if the shoe fits where, you know, wear it, the takeaways are different for the, for the different people, but our purpose is one in which our industry can become more about caring about mm -hmm. our customer and not for. You said that it was a pivotal time in history in terms of like the shift that you and I are, you know, spearheading in marketing. It's also a pivotal time in history for women. We are at a completely different level of women's rights and feminism, you know, in this day and age. And as we were talking, what came to me was Amy Poehler's book, Yes, Please, her memoir. Mm -hmm. She does this whole chapter on your career is like a bad boyfriend, that it won't buy you dinner. It's not ever going to meet your parents. It's sleeping with other people. <laughs> and yet, by contrast, creativity is like a warm, older woman who is going to take you into her embrace. And if you just give her even a little bit of your time and energy, she will cook for you. She will love you. She will make you feel whole and complete. I'm curious from you, like I know for me, like there have been periods in my life that I have driven very hard and I have times in my career, particularly where I've been very hard driving. And the older that I get and the longer, especially that I'm in marketing, the more I realize how important that softer side of it is and how important women just as women are, how important we are to this industry that we don't have to, there was a time in my career that I'd suit up, had a, a speech coach and I was, and I went up on the stage and I did my speech and she said, where did you go? And I had on this goofy suit and she's like, what's this suit? Like, I've never seen you in a suit like this. I mean, I'm in a track suit with my logo, right? Who are you trying right. to be? Well, I was trying to be my dad is who I was trying to be because he's a really great orator. And I confess that to her. And she's like, but you're funny and quirky and clever and all these things that disappeared the minute you got on that stage. So there was a time in my career that I tried to, I just tried to like be part of the patriarchy. And I use that term just meaning not, not with any good or bad or right or wrong, but just meaning, you know, we are, we have lived in a world that is predominantly male run. Mm -hmm. And the older that I get, and especially now that I feel more supported by the world, more and more supported by the world in this endeavor, the more I'm like, you know, this is plenty. Mm -hmm. This woman who's sitting here, you know, on a podcast interview, having a hot flash is plenty. I, this is this is what I say to my family all the time. This is what my best looks like today, and it is plenty. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm curious from you, like, do you? What is your experience with that, if any? Oof, this is just like laden with a bunch of stuff that would be so much fun to explore. 
I hear you. And I hear this idea that you suit up, armor up to be, you know, more male driven because it's a male driven or it used to be a male driven world. But more importantly, is not understanding our own power of, first of all, being yourself. I am completely unimpressed or unmoved by the fact that I'm a woman. I mean, this is just part of who I am or the labels you could put on me. I'm a mother, I'm a woman, I have a career, I have passions, I have lots of defects and flaws and driving through a male world was was a bit disconcerting, but I didn't let it stop me. Um, But finding my own power of being myself, whether I'm male or female, it was a real journey, a real journey that was completely informed this shedding of pretense, this shedding is like, what really, what do I, where's my power? And my power is not something that a, a man will give me, the permission issue that we women have a lot. We were just talking about, I'm sorry, yes, I'm sorry. sorry. And, you know, <laughs> do I dare because I'm a girl or I'm a woman? And and that's real and that's there. And just just ignore it, just freaking ignore it because, you know, it's not going to serve us well as humans to what we what we think about ourselves is going to basically dictate how we behave, how courageous we are to show up as us. And do we have something important to do in the world? And I have to be me and you have to be you because, you know, as the saying says, everybody else is taken. And I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm very, very grateful to all the activist women that gave us the rights that we have today and that they fought for that and and that they really but so I have the luxury right now to really don't really give a crap about my womanness. <laughs> <laughs> and and I re- I really don't and and the soon because it isn't a barrier. It just isn't mm-hmm. a barrier unless mm-hmm. I make it want to do. You know, I used to go to conferences years ago, these senior living conferences, and I would go with David Smith, who, you know, was my partner, and we co-owned communities together and walk around, whatever. And the men, which is mostly what the industry is made up, you know, white men, older white men, love them. They're great, but that's what it was. And they would completely ignore me. And, you know, it was like, always the first handshake was to David. And then I was a skirt. I was this girl, woman, person. And then all of a sudden, you know, David might introduce me and say, yeah, you know, she's by whatever she's co-owner with me or she, and they would be like, oh, oh, that's cute. You know, it was almost like a surprise. Right. And I, I, and I would feel that all the time. I would, Mm -hmm. I would feel it. And you have a choice. You either feel like you have to be like them in order to, or you just ignore it and just say, mm-hmm. I want to go do my work, do your work, right. whatever right. that is, go do your work, yes. do your work. Yes. That's great. All right. So my last question for you, Alex, what vision for the future do you have for women in senior care and the care industries? Oh, just find your power and go fight for, go fight for it. Cause you're doing all the work. Yeah. Not yeah. all the work, but women, women make up a majority of our workforce from caregivers to incredible, I mean, and and men and men, and and I don't have any kind of issue with that, but my my vision is not necessarily for our industry is that, 
yeah, go start your own community, go do the things that you know, based on your ability to empathize your, your, the power of your understanding of other humans can give you to, to really make change in this world. Go do it. You don't need permission from anyone anymore. And if you need it, I'll give it to you. <laughs> and they have my permission too. That's beautiful. What do you tell yourself about being a woman is what's going to change the way that you participate in the world and that you do things. And if it is that you need permission and that somehow that is a disability, then you're going to be stuck. If you decide to find your own power in your ability to really help people, start with helping yourself by embracing the wonderful, amazing, phenomenal woman that you are. Love it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Wendy. It's been so much fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Marketing Mysteries Solved. If you found this episode enlightening, please subscribe to our show and leave a review. To hire Wendy to speak to your organization or to explore working together, get started now at BigBuzzInc.com. That's BigBuzzInc.com. We look forward to connecting with you.